0: This episode sponsored by Furniture Box. Check them out in the description below. Guys, welcome back to The Ground Floor, the podcast where we are successful people exactly how they did it. Our guest today is a very special one. Uh, it's Logan Naidu, the founder of Dartmouth Partners, a recruitment agency that specializes in financial services. Um, and also... Keith's old boss.
1: Old oh, boss, exactly. It's
0: amazing we're still speaking. It is, I know. I, know. <laughs> I, had, to, I had to break them up before the podcast. Um, <laughs> how you doing, man? And another thing I didn't like about working with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It. No, let's yeah. Stop it there. Yeah, oh, yeah. the cameras are on. And yeah. Uh, Logan, uh, yeah, how you doing, man? Yeah, well, I'm really well. Thanks so much for coming yeah, in. Yeah, thank That's you. Fine. No, thank you. Um, it's good to see you So again. obviously, you and Keith know each other and you've got a history, um, but we've never met before. And so for anyone at home, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and, and your story?
2: Um, yeah, so I run uh, a multi-group, multi-niche a recruitment company, or recruitment group now. So it was Dartmouth Partners. We've now got another brand called Pure Search. We'll have a third brand come September, hopefully. Uh, and so actually, I now run Colonel Global rather than just Dartmouth. I mean, wow. But Dartmouth's what I'm kind of known for at the moment. Yeah, yeah, sure.
1: Yeah. And can you give an idea of uh, sort of what you were doing before Dartmouth, just to kind of provide a bit of a pretense?
2: Yep, short, short background. I did three years of finance. So I started in corporate finance, uh, uh, was Pretty useless at it for so i managed to, to run through two firms in in three years uh was actually thinking about full-time christian ministry so uh p- potentially working for a church that uh, i was part of uh and obviously investment banking doesn't naturally give you a lot of free time so uh fell into recruitment because back in 2003 a very small firm uh, offered me what was then flexible working which meant i could leave a little bit earlier on a thursday which was pretty unusual what almost what 20 years ago. Um, did a year there. Uh, they also let me go um, uh, after a year. And so I set up my own business in 2005 uh, called the Cornell Partnership. We ran that with two other partners for eight years. Uh, I left that and then started what what is what, Dartmouth in 2012.
1: Mm. How did you decide on recruitment then? Straight out of investment banking?
2: I fell into it. You know, met okay. a, bun- met a bunch, right. bunch of recruiters yeah. as you do, uh, they pitch you some of the same jobs that that you don't want to do, uh, and then one of them, as it happens quite often, doesn't say you should think about recruitment. You might yeah. be quite good at this. Uh, and actually, what I really liked straight away was the direct correlation between inputs and outputs. You know, for someone who was semi used to a black box bonus once a year, mm. that idea of exactly what I put in is more or less exactly what
0: I get out mm. was 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 like magic. Mm. Yeah, there is that nice formula with sales where it's like, you know, you eat what you kill, whatever's on the table, it's it's down to you for sure. It's a
2: really dirty word in this country. Right, sales. But- yeah. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> I think it's just
0: globally. It's people, a word. Yeah. I think in
2: America, people love sales.
1: Okay. Right. Because everyone's selling. Yeah, yeah that's true. True. Yeah, it's true.
0: That is true. Yeah. That's, true. Mean, that's that's a good point. In the UK, it's very, we have more of a tinge to it. I, I did sales for years. Did you? Uh, yeah, a long time. I did all sorts of stuff. I did like the office stuff and the kind of not amazing places to work and, you know, <laughs> pretty like <laughs> intense environments and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I think it's kind of a rite of passage, I think, especially for business. Like you've got to know how to sell, you know? um everyone's selling even yeah. i would say dating is selling definitely. yeah definitely selling the best version of yourself yeah exactly. um so how long were you in recruitment before you decided to set up your set up your own farm uh 12 months wow. wow that's bold or you could say lack of other options <laughs> <laughs> fair enough okay yeah, so to take us through that so you've been in the game for like a, a year and then you're thinking yeah pretty much like i get the idea
2: I, uh, there was no real plan to set up on my own as i said i was I was, I, I was really good at it if i say very modestly um in the, in the first first year, uh, and then they fired me by text message. Um, oh, really? By text? Wow! No, on December the twenty third, just before Christmas. Uh, nice. Just before Christmas, but yeah. that's basically cause the company couldn't—it doesn't exist anymore. so okay. I, I, think I can say what I want now. Yeah.
0: You got a text got two a, days before Christmas, I got text, telling you text. lost your job. Yeah, it was. It was. That I think is, I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't afford to pay my bonus. I mean, yeah. the, the company had
2: been through two or three pre-pack administrations, so okay, it right. was running on a, on a yeah. nice edge. Were you kind of expecting to be let go? Uh, not in that way, um, and I was expecting to get my bonus. I think it's fair to say, um, but I didn't think that I had a lot, lo-
1: lot longer left there. Yeah, right yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Um, so when you, uh, so when you set it up then, I mean, what was the, what was the plan? Because I'm assuming even when you set up Dartmouth initially, the market was probably still quite saturated at that point with the recruitment agencies. So how did you distinguish yourself from the get-go? Private that was such a oh, delayed reaction. That as took well. me a second. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh,
2: you get it. Right? Okay, so yeah. had a, look, Cornell was the, so the first business was just a, a another recruitment business. Yeah, there was nothing uh, unique about it. It was you know, born out of necessity, and let's just try and make some money and survive. All right, and so for the first, you know, three or four years, that's that's exactly what we did. And then actually, as I started to. Understand the industry a bit more, what you kind of get to to realize is that, you know, I think there are now currently 40,000 registered UK recruitment companies. Um, wow. Probably back then, maybe 30,000. Uh, and I use this stat a lot, but, you know, I think 80% are sub 10 people in the UK. So it gives you an idea of how easy it is to start one because, mm. you know, small Rider Decks uh, and the mm. willingness to pick up the phone and you can make, make pretty good money. Um, but it also gives you an idea of how hard it is to scale, scale it properly. And everyone will talk about uh, having an exit at, at mm. some point. So I think, like I say 40,000 recruitment companies, 38,000 have an EMI scheme. Mm. Uh, and I think the stats show of any meaningful exit, there are about two every year in the UK. So I think that's a, what 0.005% chance of, of you actually selling your business. And for
0: anyone at home, can you explain what an EMI scheme is?
2: Uh, uh, I th- what does it stand for? Enterprise Management Incentive Scheme or something like that. So basically share options scheme
0: yeah. for,
2: for staff. Um, uh, so you, know, you get sold the dream a lot in, in our industry. Um, so you know, having run, run one business for eight years, effectively as a lifestyle business where it was, you know, these gen- businesses should generate cash it gives a, a pretty healthy living for, for the founders. But if you're not going to grow the business, and the idea is, you know, the people-based business is how do you keep the best people? I think it gets incredibly repetitive for your team. Mm. Uh, it can get incredibly repetitive for for the, the, the owners or the MDs. Mm. Uh, so where do, where do we all go? And so you know, I was 30, 31, had just gotten married. Uh, I'll tell you a little story. I'd got gotten married uh, on October the 9th, uh, 2000. Let's get this year right. 2012, which is the day before my first wedding anniversary, I got, got diagnosed with cancer, um, and my wife was six months pregnant, so we were expecting our first child. Uh, we mm. were moving house that day, uh, and, and I, got, I got told I had cancer. I had a big lump at the back of my leg, which had been growing quite quickly. Um, and so, so having had treatment, you know, baby arrived. More treatment. I was in quite a lot of pain at points. Yeah. Uh, high as a kite on, on morphine um, I, start, you know, I I knew I was not enjoying the the old business as as much and part of, part of that was you know i 'm thirty two where do I, where do I go with this mm. um, it's, it's, you know it pays pays the bills it pays well, but you know, surely there 's more to do in the industry, surely there's more to life than just uh, you know, making a decent living mm. um, and so you know, when I came back from from treatment, I was kind of pretty clear that actually you know a I wanted to do something different. You know, in terms of um, the breadth of the job uh, and and secondly understanding the industry these businesses you can scale and so um you know I had a, a managed exit where I was um, you know bought out from Cornell and then Dartmouth started the I guess the the starting point to answer your, your original question how do we how do we stand out uh, we came up with this classroom to boardroom idea For Dartmouth and and if you look at most, it's not just recruitment companies, but most service industries. You have got pockets of excellence, whether it's law firms, accounting firms, you know, particularly in recruitment, you've got pockets of brilliant people where people know that's the best person who does X, Mm -hmm. whatever whatever it is, Uh, and that's the inherent weaknesses in, in all these businesses till till you have proper scale. Um, you've just got two or three people in a small business that shine, or, you know, in a larger business might be 20. Um, so I was trying to think of how do you, how do you within my sector uh, have a conveyor belt that feeds the brilliance of individuals and allows everyone to flourish together? And so this classroom to boardroom idea was was kind of born of the premise that, well, um, off campus, talent usually follows the money. Um, not always, but usually so. you know, If you go to one of the top, five or 10 universities, uh, and bear in mind, this is 12 years ago, um, you'd come into the square mile and do probably one of three or four jobs, which is banking, consulting, private equity, maybe the big four. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, what we did at the start was say, look, if we can capture and get to know all that talent before they're anyone, uh, and, and A, we assess them, help help get them first jobs, but we've got to know uh, the pool of the next decision makers before, before anyone else has bothered speaking to them. Um, and you know the best recruiters do that. They, they kind of nurture a network and hang on to their coattails as their career progresses. Uh, and so you know, right at the beginning, we focused very early on on a, a I guess a pool of talent that no one really cared about, zero to six years experience, um, you know what we call graduate recruitments. Uh, we run outsourced grab recruitment for uh, a number of firms now, currently about 45 firms, um, and then you know, helping people get their second and third jobs. Uh, and the idea is that if collectively, as a group of people, we could go up the food chain with that population, mm. our our collective black book would become quite powerful. Mm. Um, and so 10 years later, we're now working for a group of people who've known us since yeah. they yeah. were 21. A lot of them are our clients. Uh, quite a lot of them are, are candidates. And it becomes a little bit interchangeable, as you've known them for such a long time. Uh, and you become genuine advisors. You know, you know a lot of these people. they have got an affiliation with you, uh, you know, and and um you know they 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 know you and you know them so it becomes a a proper advisory relationship over over time um and that that convey about as as we've grown we're now just under 200 people within dartmouth um yeah we've got about 20 people in the grad team uh that you know i think last year it made about five five you know five million quid top line but yeah we will we will interview we will pick up off campus globally about twenty five thousand cvs a year and we'll interview Eight thousand mm. uh, and place maybe five hundred. Yeah. So, um you know, it's a good PL of itself. But actually, what it's doing is feeding feeding the 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 kind of future business. Sure. Mm. Uh, yeah. By getting to those people. I've, and how? Sorry, go on.
0: No, no. I was going to say I've never I've never heard of and uh, it's not even a question. I've, just, I've never yeah. heard of someone speak about recruitment with that long term philosophy and the philosophy of actually. Nurturing long-term relationships, especially relationships, as you said, then evolve into a kind of symbiotic relationship between client and candidate. I think that's really fascinating.
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that because I think that's the. I mean, there's, you know, there's not lots of genius to this business. You know, a lot of it is, as James will know, it's quite it's just hard work um, and hit repeat. But I think the the thing that we want to really get away from is moving away from the transaction. Which gives the industry a bad reputation. Yeah. Right well, here. that's
0: what I was going to ask you about because it, it, recruitment—you know—it's no, no secret that recruitment, kind of like you know, estate agent things, they, 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 there is a there is a no there is a there is a reputation that I'm sure you're aware of, and what you just said is completely different to that, and the way that you run your business is completely completely parallel to that. Do you have any sort of thoughts on why why you think the industry is where it is?
2: Because it's based around transactions all the time, mm. who, you know, and. I guess typically you place someone; you don't need to talk to them for one or two years, so it, it is highly transactional. You know, I guess a little bit like a state agency, where as long as you make the sale, yeah. yeah, then you know, how likely are they to come back to you in four or five years' time? And because it's a very peripatetic industry, uh, the chances of me being in the same estate agent or recruitment company are so slim. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, I think the, the churn rate in our industry as a whole is about fifty percent, right? You know, and I think uh, more broadly. Maybe thirty percent in smaller firms, so they're reinventing themselves every yeah, three, yeah, yeah. three mm-hmm. years. Yeah. So I think it, the industry lends itself to, to being highly transactional. I think the way we, uh, you know, generally as an industry, train people to think is all about deals. Yeah, um, and that that therefore, what are you billing this month? Th- there's a there's a weakness to it. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah, the, I think the yeah you know, by this talking about clustering to border and talking about long term relationships and knowing they're going to come back to you and also knowing that the fees you know when they're junior are far smaller than the fees you're likely to make when they're senior. I think. Um, it's not perfect, but hardwires a long-term thinking into
0: into the business. Yeah. So for your for yours, then sorry, i, I know you're about to ask a question. I just want to stay on this just right. for one sec because uh, I find this really interesting. So for your uh, for your model, then um, to avoid that kind of transactionality of it, when it when you let's say play someone. Um, is it a case where you then sort of periodically check in on them, or you have some sort of structure built around like kind of post placing, or how, how do you sort of avoid that issue happening in, at Dartmouth in terms of maintaining that relationship and building that?
2: So it's easier to stay in touch with the the graduate population because they you know they're at the outset of their career, and I guess to be candid, they need you a little bit more you know advice around like okay, how how do I get my first job, how do I dress, uh, what's appropriate. Uh, we'll touch base to make sure they're they're being kind of embedded into the business uh and it's it's a bit more seamless for the first, you know, 12-ish months. After that, you know, people have kind of got a grapple of, okay, I've started to learn the system, know what's expected out of me, et cetera. So, um, but we'll stay in touch with with the usual methodology, you know, kind of bonus surveys, catch-ups. Um, you know, clearly if we're meeting 8,000 undergraduates a year, we can't stay in touch with with all of them. Um, but actually one of the things that know what we want to get better at is is building out that ecosystem of of how do we actually systematically stay stay in touch with more than just a thousand a a year um because they are the future of the business yeah Mm.
1: and how difficult was it for you to actually get clients to buy into that philosophy from the start and what sort of objections are you getting
2: it is quite difficult to to talk about the need of, of um priming the hopper for the future uh i think we got really lucky with the timing of the business so 2012 um, was you know, people didn't really talk about startups. We talk about startups all the time. We did this kind of stuff, yeah. but um, 2012 was the sort of slight tipping point. I'd say when uh, you know we were talking about Silicon Roundabout, startups became more of a thing, um, and so that optionality for junior uh, professionals to mm-hmm. think about, well, I you know I could go to a Deliveroo, uh, you know, or a well-capitalized startup and earn. Comparable money to professional services started to rise on the agenda, uh, and historically before that, if you wanted to work in a startup, you would take a significant pay cut. But you know, well-funded startups brought in competition for that talent. Uh, what that therefore brought for for us was the chance to how do we advise professional services uh, to keep them? You know, we talk about Gen Z now and and what you know what they what they want. You're nodding, James. I think you might you might be a Gen, Gen Z. <laughs> probably, um, probably. You know, but I guess. Um, you know back then was that was was millennials as well and the, the kind of slight shift in the workforce and behaviors and what's expected um, and, and people have become a lot more short termist at the junior end around around how they think about their their careers. so um, you know we were able to to become advisors to quite a lot of firms uh, in terms of helping them think, well how do we manage this this workforce? Uh, all this population of people yeah we' are pretty good at attracting them, uh, and increasingly over the last t- ten years, people have found it harder to to mm. keep them yeah um uh to the point where you know many firms are now thinking, well, if we can have a two three year you know gig with them mm. uh you know that that. That that's a, that's a good return on, on hiring a graduate.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, have you seen more? Uh, it must sort of imply somewhat more of an uptick and a bit of a boost in your industry, given the fact that people are staying at companies less than they used to. It's a good and a bad, right? You know, I think I think um,
2: like I talk talk about I guess both as a recruiter and an, an employer, um, stability or some stability in an organization is really really important. So, everyone job hopping all the time mm-hmm. is is not good. Um, I think you know culturally, having uh, being less fearful of of taking risk is is a good thing. You know, we we don't have a hardwired entrepreneurial dynamic in, in the UK as you know some might argue the, the US has. Mm. Uh, we have a greater fear of failure, and failure definitely carries more stigma over here than it does Very true. Over, yeah. over there. Um, equally, I do think that reshaping some of the thinking for. Uh, whether you talk about Gen Zs or, or millennials, and you know, I've got three kids, uh, and their their thinking is is will, you know will evolve uh, as they think about work in the future. But you know we all get older, our priorities all change as we get get older. You know you do start thinking about putting down roots, no matter who you are. Um, you know, and so I think that helping people think through some of the implications of job hopping a lot mm. uh, in the in the early days, where I'm just accumulating lots of experience and, and looking looking for for the thing that, that might be the most fun or or, or the right thing. Uh, it's more than that, isn't it? You know, you, you are trying to accumulate experience. Yes. Uh, but I, I think actually, you know, just having a series of jobs uh, early on is, isn't is always the best thing.
1: Yeah. And I know the retention at Dartmouth is particularly good, having worked there for a couple of years. Um, so what would be your advice to business owners about them, actually, what in terms of what they can do to retain their staff? Um, I mean, look, everyone will talk about culture uh,
2: all day long. Every business will talk about our culture. I don't know how how many podcasts you've done. Everyone will talk about the culture of their their business. Um, But it it starts with culture. And then actually, you know, what what do we mean by this? We've done this exercise recently. We're we're doing it again. You know, actually defining what culture means and hardwiring that through the business. Um, And if you take recruitment companies, you know, 40,000 in the UK, my suspicion will be... Uh, you know, high 10,000s will talk about partnership and diversity uh, and their people first. Um, what does that actually mean? You know, so we talk about kindness and excellence, but defining, and we're going through this journey now, we would have thought kindness and excellence is pretty self-explanatory, but excellence might mean different things to different people, Actually, right? so hardwiring basic behaviors around, well, this is what excellence means to us. Mm. Um, and. You know, the challenge nowadays will be, well, how does that fit around, you know, excellence means going the extra mile or always replying to clients within X amount of time? Well, how does that fit with my work life balance? Because um, you know, that's also part part of the agenda now. And uh, you know, when I'm off, I don't want to reply to emails at post post six o'clock or, or seven o'clock. Uh, and so marrying that with all, you know, clients and candidates come come first and this isn't an out of hours job mm. and still is, and you can't really shy away from that. And I still stand by that, you know. Post-pandemic, have we become more flexible? Yes, but we work for a super demanding client base, okay? mm. finance, private equity. They are demanding. They're under pressure themselves. They will work all hours and expect you to do the same. You can't sit there and say, well, actually, it's my work from home day and I'm going to go and uh, get my haircut, I'll play around of golf at four. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you might be able to do that, but you're, you're expected to respond. Yeah, um, And then yeah, even things like kindness, which you think are self-explanatory, uh, can mean different things to different people. You know, we're having to now... Now, hunker down on that and say, look, it, it doesn't mean uh, a pass on performance or not giving mm. candid feedback. Um, you know, we captured the the radical candor uh, kind of methodology, you know, probably five, six years ago. Um, but with a new generation of people in the business, actually understanding that actually part of you know me being kind is actually helping you be better. And that will require some difficult conversations at, mm. at, at points. Um, but the kindness bit is actually being respectful in the way we deliver that, uh, and not you know I think radical candor, you know you can you know, some people capture that they'll what blurt out what, what I'm thinking, Um, you know having a framework for delivering the message uh, faithfully and truthfully, but in a mm. in a nice way is, is probably the, the bit that's kind.
1: Yeah, sure. I think it's hard to find that balance, especially with people coming in as, as graduates now. The mm. the mentality is so different, as we've talked about with other guests. Yeah. It's, uh people are sort of less willing, should we say, to put the work in and actually work. Work hard and do what's expected. There's a sort of certain expectation of whether it's working from home or having more flexibility or just being a little bit sort of fluffier, should we say, on 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 the outside. Um, Completely true. We've definitely seen that. Yeah,
2: and I I think again, I I I think I know we all talk about the world changing, but I don't think human beings have changed massively, right? I think that hardwired within us, we want progress, we want to be successful, we Mm. want to feel like we're doing something meaningful. Mm. Um, uh, That. That hasn't really changed. You know, meaningful might mean different things now. You know, maybe uh, in the fifties or sixties, meaningful might have been provision for my family, right? yeah. and putting food on the table. Uh, you know, coming out of a, you know, not, not generationally out, out of a war era, ration era, to you know, then saying actually provision means. You know, nowadays meaningful might be more around uh, my own personal fulfillment. But that that changes pretty quickly, I think, once um, you stop. Stop being so inward-looking, right? So I think we are an increasingly inward-looking generation. We talk about self-actualization way more than than our our, yeah, our pa- parents or or grandparents. Um, but as soon as you you have a responsibility that's outside of yourself, so if you meet someone, right, you know, have a, a partner, husband, wife, um, and then have potentially kids, you, you start to think, well, my, my meaning's external, right? And so mm. I think that that really changes changes the dynamic uh, and. I think part of the challenge is helping uh, a group of people, you know, who've kind of left school, left the education system, where a lot of it has been around. You know, the narrative is is me, 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 and uh, my identity, my ego, and we've lost a wider narrative around society and culture. Um, you know, if you have a faith, how you fit in within, uh, you, you know, that. You know, for me, a church community, you know, yeah. or, or you know, Jewish society, whatever it is um it's become you know wherever in the western world much more around my, my identity is me and who am i mm. um and helping people understand well that will change over time because all of us get older uh, our priorities do change and then within the workplace how do you re- kind of kind of rewire that our job here is to you know, my, my thought is is to make you good at something mm. and to make you successful um, and that's a two-way street you bring you know your version of your best every day, and we need to input and train that uh, and, and help, help you become successful. And the more successful you become, weirdly, the more enjoyable the job becomes mm. uh, as well. You know, I think that you know, beyond, beyond money, that feeling of I'm doing well is is way more powerful. Definitely.
0: Hey guys, I just wanted to take a second to talk about our sponsor for this episode, Furniture Box. Furniture Box is an online furniture retailer that makes awesome products for everywhere from your bedroom to your office. Now we actually had Monty and Dan, the co-founders on our show. That's how we met. We loved their story and we hung out with them afterwards and we knew that we wanted to work with them. And here's the thing. One of the biggest issues I have whenever I've ordered furniture in the past is that certain big name furniture companies, not naming any names, will charge you a fairly large fee for delivery and even then that delivery usually takes a few days if not longer. With Furniture Box not only do they offer free next day delivery but they're now planning on extending their delivery cut off even more so that you can literally order a dining set as late as 8 p.m and be eating dinner on it the next day. So to put it simply there's no one in the UK furniture scene that's doing anything like what they're doing and we're thrilled to have them as our sponsor. So click the link in the show notes and check them out. Now back to the episode. In terms of like the shift in culture and um and especially in workplace culture, I'm curious to know what's your opinion on uh, the talk about sort of introducing four day work weeks. Yeah, we're on really dangerous territory here, aren't we? Because we're going to start <laughs> about cu- culture wars. I was here to talk, yeah. to talk about business, but um I think because you're in a corporate industry, I, I'm 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 always fascinated to hear because we've had this debate quite a few times, and I'm I'm always curious to hear um different people's opinions, especially from your kind of world.
2: Look, I think I think one of the benefits from the pandemic was that we saw that things can work and you can afford some flexibility. Um, and, you know, I you know, obviously I was looking at the business going bust at the start because the first thing that you think when you shut down the world is rec- recruitment is going to stop. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was very frightening. One of the, the very nice things for selling in the early months was being able to see the kids a bit more. And obviously we had that lovely, lovely spring weather at the same time. So uh, it was super intense, but actually being able to, uh, eat with the kids every day was quite quite nice, mm. um, and you know, even I enjoyed that. the The flip side to where we are today, and we all talked about, you know, we saw this in in kind of the rise of of, of tech stocks uh, and, and the, the boom, in, and I guess subsequent fall, fall of them. But um, we all thought the world's going to stay like this forever. You know, the general general trend of human beings is, is probably kind of levels out. You know, there's there's a change, but it's it's probably a lot lot slower than we perceive. But there is change in progress, mm. um, and so. You know, capturing some of the best things from that, so you know, being able to trust people to do a good job. Um, you know, bear in mind that adrenaline was pumping, people had the flight flight off of fight uh coursing through their veins and didn't know what was coming. Uh, and there was also no other option, right? So we were all forced to do it. Uh, you know, now running a hybrid blended business wherever you are, I think I think it is difficult, right? And and you're seeing that now, where you know the economy has turned. Is you know we all thought we've cracked it for the last year. It's, it's going to be super easy. You can see this with the far bigger fang stocks, where mm. you know, they've just piled in. People and now cutting people. Mm. So it's, it's encouraging to see even the biggest companies in the world make the same mistakes. Yeah, I um, yeah. um, Go back to I think it's our responsibility to help people understand what it takes to be successful. Um, and if I was a junior, and I've said this openly to 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 people in our, our firm, I would look at my boss, and I would ask, does that person make me better? Um, and if that person makes me better, that's probably a boss worth working for, because that's their responsibility mm. to, to to you. Uh, and if that boss is demanding and asking you to be in five days a week as a twenty-one year old to twenty, you know, eight-year-old, twenty-nine-year-old, I'd probably just do it yeah. because you've got. Yeah, you've got so little time, right? You've got 10, 15 years to get good at something if you're going to stick at it. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and even if you're not going to stick at it, my, my view is, um, you know, suck up as much as you can as quickly as you can to to get the reps in. Uh, and if you decide it's not for you, you've learned as much as possible, yeah. right? And then you can take that to wherever you go go next. Mm. Mm. Um, I think it's as simple as that. Um, and and maybe I say that as Uh, someone that's maybe i don't know one or two generations older than than the one coming to the workforce today um and so it might be a bit old-fashioned or naive but i mean that's the advice i'd give to my kids
1: yeah i think it's really good advice and unfortunately it's just not necessarily listened to by by a lot of people at the moment but i do think it's really good advice
2: um i think at heart of hearts people people probably know it's the right thing yeah it's it's like i don't know it's like a a doctor or friend saying to you you need to lose a bit of weight right and you kind of know that maybe i need to lose a bit of weight Mm. but I, I like the cake I, lo- I I love chocolate brownies and I like red wine yeah, right. yeah so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah in that moment it's quite difficult but no definitely
0: it, it is definitely. yeah definitely. That, um, that is I, but, I, I, but I think the thing that interested me because we, we we debated it before but I saw um there was a study that was done recently they did a small study I believe at Microsoft a, a while ago and the results came back overwhelmingly positive and then they did another one more recently where I can't remember which company it was but they experimented with yeah it was a, essentially a 32 hour week I think they didn't have Fridays or something like that and product productivity increased not even maintained or decreased it actually increased and that's where i found it an interesting because mm-hmm. if people do have more time for their families and their children and their hobbies and the things that bring them joy um and they are also more productive in the time that they are at the office because we all know you know a lot of a lot of jobs there is a lot of downtime where it's like you know you have to look busy for the middle manager who's looking over your shoulder and you know so in those situations playing devil's advocate would the argument be that it makes even more sense if the data is showing that it's more efficient
2: yeah i mean look, I, I think one of the hopefully one of the things that's changed is facetime's sort of disappearing right because you know you, you can do your job and, you know devices make that a lot lot easier but one of the magical things about recruitment uh and i think generally sales jobs is the more you put in and you know fill up the funnel the more you can get out and, yeah so sales is quite specific yeah for a, sure it's a you know it's, it's kind of a zero-sum game um uh, yeah, there are obviously yeah sales. You could do six days a week if you want, and, and that's the, and, uh, Yeah, and, and I used to. Yeah, and, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Um, and I think yeah. No, so yes, I think there are cert- certain certain jobs uh, or professions that allow you know allow you to be a bit more flexible because it's just about getting a finite amount of work done, and if you can get it done as quickly as possible, why wouldn't you have mm. uh, a more flexible uh, kind of working week? Yeah, uh, yeah. or fluid working week. Uh, I think other jobs where. You know the the task can be endless. Um, it's it's slightly different, right? And then I think yeah, it's sure. actually about yeah. how do you how do you actually how do you marry up and not burn out your
1: workforce? Mm. Yeah, um, I think it's a, it's a different it's a different conversation. That's true. Mm. Um, so just going back then, um, can you just tell me what the sort of turning point for Dartmouth was? When did you know that you were actually sort of onto something? Slash, when did you start seeing some real success? Um, look, we were fortunate that we assembled a team that all knew each other.
2: Kind of fairly well, yeah. really early on. So from Cornell, from Cornell, yeah. yeah. From, well, actually, not all from Cornell. So from Cornell, and then um, uh, uh, Tim Webster is now our COO for Dartmouth, uh, who I'd known for a really long time uh, through church circles, uh, was on gardening leave, uh, and then and then and then joined us. So um, yeah, we had a core team. I was pretty convinced that I could personally generate money, uh, and for the first you know two or three years, we had a really nice kind of fell explosive growth, growth, and it was very profitable. Um, you know, success doesn't happen in a straight line, I think it's a, is a Clive Woodward quote. And you know, we hit a bump in 2015, 2016, um, where we basically brought in people under the premise that this isn't a sales job. So we, we sort of fell into the trap of hiring um, largely very bright, educated people who didn't want to do sales. Right. Uh, okay. And I fed them work and it executed and it, it worked really well. Uh, and that, in conjunction with probably hiring someone senior that wasn't a culturally a good fit for the business, mm. um, caused me and the business a lot of problems. Uh, and unpicking that, we did two things. We let go the, the kind of uh, the, the individual I'm talking about. And then secondly, we had a, a group of people that left, um, not as a result of that, but because we started to try and inject a sales culture into the business and had quite a lot of pushback on that. Uh, but we rehired and I think we, we started to find our stride of being much clearer around two things one what does the job look like uh, and two again trying to define what does excellence mean you know outside of the core group of eight people who are largely all still there um, uh, you know helping people understand you know this is this is what good looks like for for us uh, and we talk about you know talk about training culture and how you mm-hmm. know, we, we were first first or second time managers in terms of developing an L&D Mm-hmm. Uh, or formulate L&D platform or system. Um, and so 2015-16 was a real turning point for the business. 16 was obviously the Brexit vote. Everything shut down in FS for another six months. Or yeah. People worked out what, what happened. But it gave us a, ch- a chance to hard, you know, hardwire um, a better sales culture okay. in, in the business. Um, and I remember end of 2016, I mean, you'll remember this, James, we do four big, uh, what we call quarterlies, but big, big kind of all company addresses, um, uh, and I hope you know we're really open about how we're doing. Um, you know, you rev- revenue, profit. You know, what's good, what's bad. Uh, and 2016 had been had been a hard year. Uh, if you look at our glass door through that period, you'd see you'll see there was quite a lot of turnover. Um, you know, quite a lot of criticism. Um, uh, but I felt we were turning a corner. So looking at the data in terms of new clients, one that were not from me, um, the for the first time, the majority had not come from me. Um, so people were starting to bring in their own clients. Uh, revenue-wise, we've been flat on the previous year, which was the first time that had happened. Uh, in the business, we, we talk about 30% growth year on year. We, we were running at sort of 50% uh, top and bottom on growth every year for the first three or four years. Uh, so it was the first time we were flat. Um, morale was pretty low. I remember the Christmas party being pretty, pretty flat affair. Um but I remember saying to people, look, I think we're turning the corner. Um uh and you know, th- you, you might not see this yet, but there are green shoots in the business. And then 2017 was an absolute blowout year and 18 we did our first P transaction. So wow. Um, yeah, that was probably the first time outside of the first couple of years where I was like, we're actually we're on to something here. Yeah. Mm.
1: Okay.
0: So for anyone that might be looking to start their own recruitment agency, um, from home, uh, or just sort of, you know, from the ground up, um, what is required in the early stages of that? So, in terms of like startup capital, how much do you need?
2: Depends how many people you want on the first day, right? I mean, you can you can literally start this with uh, next to no working capital, uh, apart from your own personal personal needs to to live off. Uh, I think what what stops quite a lot of people do it doing it is uh, probably probably well, I've, I've been earning really well uh, previously, mm. uh, and I'm not prepared to pr- probably. Not get back to that stage for maybe one, maybe two years. Mm. Um, but but look, outside of a you know phone and a PC, what else do you need? Yeah.
0: So yeah, that's what I'm, yeah, that's exactly it. So uh, so for anyone that doesn't know, what exactly is the model? So you know, you're a, you're starting your own agency, you have a phone and a PC. If someone doesn't understand how the recruitment model works in that way, how would you go about building that business? Look over, over
2: here. The way the industry works for the, the uninitiated, if we place a candidate, the employer pays us. Mm-hmm. You know, and I guess industry wide, we're talking away from kind of blue collar, way up to, to white collar, the range of that fee might be anywhere from 10% up to 35% of, of annual salary. You, know, you Usually, uh, I'm guessing the industry average is sitting somewhere in the middle, maybe 20, 25%. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, you know, I guess the first thing you need typically is a, is a, is a client mm-hmm. uh, that's willing to use you and then, you know, and a request that kind of, we need to find person X, and then you just go find that person. I mean, it's literally as simple as just mat- matching initially. Absolutely. Um, so it, it's... It's. Not, I mean, that's the reason there are so many agencies in the in the UK. I mean, mm. Forty thousand. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I didn't there's there's low barriers to entry, or well, slash to no barriers. Yeah. To yeah. Entry, no, right? There's absolutely yeah. no no yeah. no barriers to entry whatsoever. Yeah.
0: Um, but in terms of ma- matching that up, so how do you? Let's say you have a client. So James wants to hire someone. He's like, we need this kind of person. Is it a case of you then just go on? I mean, not you obviously for Dartmouth, but if if you were starting a new shop, for example, you just kind of go onto LinkedIn and type accountant with this qualification, for example, and then just hit them up and say, hey, I have a job. Are you interested? yeah
2: I mean you know and it's cr- in its crudest form that's exactly right I think the um you know I mean if you take take this as an example right let's say I don't know how many accountants there are in the country but um, if you know let's say a FTSE, what a FTSE 100 firm says we want to hire a newly qualified accountant versus a 10 10 person uh, firm based I don't know based uh, you know in, in some regional backwater what they're looking for what they're willing to pay, uh, what their expectation of that person's career path or um, the actual role will be very, very different. So that where the skill comes in is actually understanding, well, who are you looking for? What can you get for what you're willing to pay? And then who can I find that's willing to, to do the job? Because uh, for most jobs, there are probably you know, quite a number of people who could actually look like they could do the job. Hmm. Uh, and then the, the bit that, the, where the alchemy comes in is working on what's going to be right for the business or the team, and for the individual, uh, and so you've got, you know, you've got, you know, you've kind of got two masters. Where you've got a candidate, you know, what do they want? What do they like? What's their skill set? What are their aspirations? And you've got a client uh, in terms of uh, this is who I want, and can I get that? Right.
1: Um, Just again, sort of going back then. I mean, I just wanted to touch on the first PE transaction. You mentioned that, um, that happened. What what year was that? The first PE transaction? Uh, June 2018. 2018. Um, How did that, how did that come about? For anyone at home,
0: PE's private equity. um,
1: How did that come about and what was the, um, what sort of advice would you give to someone who's maybe at that point for a recruitment agency and is looking to get that sort of investment to help sort of accelerate the growth?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, Firstly, well done if you got to that stage because it doesn't (laughs) doesn't happen very often in our industry. Um, Look, secondly, Look, we talked about building a business of scale from the very, very beginning. You know, this wasn't going to be uh, what I've done before. It's going to be different. We were going to scale it, um, and I mean, look, you'll know this, James. We, we're really open about our aspirations of what we're trying to, to do. Probably sometimes too open it creates a great big noose around your neck. Um, but, but, um, yeah, you know, by being really open and saying this is what we're we're going to do, uh, and I talked about having institutional investment from the very beginning. Uh, I said, I think it might take 10 years. So I bought myself a little bit of time. We did it in six. Um, The tipping point was probably getting to a certain EBITDA number. So we were right about two and a half EBITDA.
1: For EBITDA, for anyone listening, do you mind just explaining what what EBITDA is? Operating profit. Operating profit.
2: Yeah, profit, pre-tax, but after after cost. Um, uh, And so so we we got to a stage where we knew we had a business of value. Um, We were still pretty small, about 40-ish people. Um, but but taking institutional investment at that point, we didn't necessarily need money. But what it allowed us to do, it, it gave. I think it was a real vote of confidence in the business, and me being able to say to you know forty people, um, a this is what we're worth, and b this is you know we're on, we're on the journey for growing a bigger business, and someone's willing to back us to do that. Uh, and third thirdly, most people had skin in the game uh, in, in in the business. So. Uh, again, if I go back to what I said right at the beginning, talking about EMI schemes and every yeah. recruitment firm having them, uh, you'd be able to say, actually, there is a value to the business. And uh, look, I've spent my entire working life trying to disprove the notion that recruitment businesses have, have zero equity value in them. We've done it twice now. Um, uh, but I definitely had members of staff at the beginning saying, look, my equity will be worth nothing. Mm. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll never sell this business because no, nobody buys them. I um, uh, mean, trying to say look it, it will do Yeah, it, it will do but uh, the odds are against you
1: and how did you find your first p investor how did you go about actually sort of uh making that happen
2: i was having lunch with an old candidate i placed um who worked for a services business well services advisory business um, and they did a lot in, the, in our space uh and i've been to see a few advisors and a few advisors or well, maybe in one or two years time and uh his name's ed uh, we can't call your friends but ed, ed said well, i think i think." I think I, I think we can do this now. Uh, I remember thinking, okay, well, let's let's spend a day together. Um, and they came out with a number. Uh, I remember thinking, well, that's quite a large number actually. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So so maybe, maybe we can we can ex- we can explore that. So um, yeah, it came. There's all these things from from a lunch, but it was yeah. part of my thing. I thought I'd be. I thought we were one year too early. Okay. Um, uh, but, yeah.
0: In an industry, uh, as you said, where there's like forty thousand f- recruitment firms now, can you speak a little bit to branding and standing out? Because uh, I don't think we necessarily think about uh, recruitment agencies from much of a branding perspective, because they are sort of a lot of them fairly similar. Um, so, what's your kind of thoughts on on branding and, and how to brand yourself in your industry?
2: Well, that is a tough question, isn't it? Um, look, I think there. Are-
0: That's what we do here at the yeah. ground floor, baby.
2: <laughs> tough questions. Uh, there are there are probably two parts to that. One is personal branding, and then is Corporate, um, and and I think within our industry, probably both both play a massive part. There's a personal brand of uh, how do I carry myself, you know, how do I want to be, how do I interact with my clients and uh, my candidates, uh, you know, who are they interacting with. And I was, I go back to you know my own career path and what I was thinking right right at the outset, you know, given what you talk about the industry and estate agents, um, how do you stand out? I used to work with a chap called Piers who was with us on, on day one and now works for. Uh, a social enterprise but um Piers said to me right because it's a real industry if you tell the truth you're you're already in the 1% in terms of ethics aren't you uh, and I, I said to Piers you've actually nailed this um uh, uh and if Piers is listening hey um and I think that look it's it's because it's got such a low bar to entry there is a lot of misbehavior um uh, and look because of my journey into the industry and me thinking about full-time christian ministry um one of the reasons why I, I did it in the early years and it's probably much harder nowadays is I wanted to meet people, I wanted to become more confident and I wanted to share my faith. Um and you probably can't say the latter bit nowadays. Um but that's 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 where I, I was. Um uh, and so a lot of the interactions were probably very, very genuine and people kind of roughly my age saying, Well, why have you left the industry that you're now recruiting in? Um uh like got to tell them a bit about my story it's not about me it's about you but you know, we'll, we'll have a conversation a lot of these people can have become quite good friends over the years because we've all gone on that kind of career journey together mm. you know all, all mid-40s largely all have kids largely all getting a bit of a paunch you know all the usual stuff um i'd say there's a personal branding to it you know how do you want to to, to stand out and, and i think part of that is is just giving good advice and, and we deal with a generally very bright candidate base usually Far brighter than us. They kind of know what they want to do. And so you actually can't sell them to, mm. you know, it's very difficult to sell them the wrong job because uh, they're smart individuals. Mm. Uh, and then corporate corporate branding look, our, our basic thing is, you know, uh, build the brand ab- around the people. So if we are consistently excellent in terms of the, the delivery, consistently give good advice, the brand is built around, well, actually, the, you know, they. They, they, all, they all do that. And so you haven't got pockets of brilliance within the business. If I go back to what I originally said. And I think the best, prof- if you think about, you know what are the best professional services businesses in the world, people like McKinsey, people like Goldman Sachs, you're buying a brand, mm. right? You, you know, you're buying a brand. You're not necessarily buying it. You obviously, you've got brilliant people, but that formula of we hire, uh, attract, retain, train, the absolute best people, um, the brand clearly helps uh, do all of that. But the brand started with people whenever many years ago
0: very true and started with brilliant people which then yeah. causes that chain which yeah. is quite great uh this is a question i've been asking a lot of our, our guests recently but i, I am i'm am just fascinated by it uh what do you think is going to be the impact of ai on your industry i'll ask me in five years time if we're here, if we're here. Uh, <laughs> yeah exactly will yeah. we won't be having
2: this conversation I, I i don't know our computers will be yeah i don't i don't know i mean i think okay my suspicion is that at the lower end of the industry where you you know we're just looking for a person so um you know jobs that are more blue collar or or you know have a a lower a lower we just need someone right i don't know staffing um around an event or uh uh i don't know coffee shops or, or something like that um where it is we just need someone to do the job rather than we really care about Culture that might be really unfair to the industry, I don't know, but um, I think I think AI might might take out a lot of of, of that lower level stuff. Mm. Um, I don't think it will, it will remove the, the need for human interaction because you still need someone to make sure that it's all. you know, so it might be a facilitator rather like LinkedIn to become a facilitator to finding people um, at the, the kind of you know higher end, uh, which is where we sit. I think it's quite hard to move out, move, remove the human element to it because. Uh, we go back to the need for alchemy to make it work, and uh, there are so many moving parts around. You know, can they do the job? Well, lots of people can do the job, but who do you want to do the job? Um, yeah, I think that's still there's still a lot of um, uh, intangibles and subjectivity around what makes something work within an organisation, uh, and so. Yeah, look, AI will evolve. Uh yeah. it will It'll be it'll be it'll be it'll be it'll be used. Um uh would never say never, maybe it will be taken out at some point. Yeah, fingers crossed it's not. Fingers crossed.
1: But in our lifetime. In our lifetime, yeah. exactly. Um when did you ready when did you know you were ready to go international with the business? Uh I fell into that again. So made the classic mistake. Um
2: uh you know didn't really have a clear plan, new want to do international, international sounds, you know, it's all easy, isn't it? We made it work here, let's just go international. Um uh you know, we were interviewing uh uh someone who now runs Germany for us, Eleanor. Uh you know, brilliant interview, uh really charismatic, had uh studied uh abroad in Germany, although she's a Brit and we said in an interview, yeah, you know, would you ever want to work abroad? So I think I led that. She would say she would say I led it, I would say she led it, but um uh after after two years she went to she went to she went to, she went to Germany, Frankfurt and set up our German office. That was the first first office we set up. Um uh you know and I think that you know five or six years later on, you know, we'd put a lot more thought into where we go I and mean, actually yeah you know, probably put a lot more capital into it as well. You know, the thing that I'd say that um you know we didn't do brilliantly, we we you know it was the idea was send a biller over, get them to bill mm-hmm. and then get them to hire. Nowadays, yeah you know, we'd like to do that, but we build the infrastructure uh, around around that a lot more quickly, and and probably have more capital to put on. To say, okay, let's build some momentum. You know, it's far easier mm-hmm. having five or ten people going out to market than one lone person.
0: I was going to ask, uh, given your expertise and your experience in the industry, would you advise someone to open a recruitment agency now? Um, I mean, it depends what you want. You
2: want right? So. Uh, look, I think I think the industry is a brilliant industry and uh you know I'm gonna I'm gonna give my my 60 second pitch on why I think the industry is brilliant there are three big decisions you make in life generally um, that everyone has to make right who or what do you worship and everyone worships something or someone mm. uh, two uh, largely who am I gonna marry or spend the rest of my life with uh, and and most people want to do that as they get older and then three what am I gonna to do with my life um, and we have the, the you know the brilliant opportunity to advise people on the third and if you know, you know we've all had parents right now how close we are to our parents but uh if you've got a parent that loves their job or hates their job that really kind of sets the tone for family life quite often as well uh, so so you know you are you know you are you know, get it right and you're genuinely mm. influential for as a positive force for good uh get it wrong you've probably just ruined someone's family life for a few years right yeah, yeah, so yeah. Um, it's a real privilege to have these conversations with with people um, and we shouldn't forget that um, so if as long as you I think you know start starting point of that um, then you know, why start an agency well you know provides a good income um yeah, it does you know so so maybe maybe do that um could it give autonomy yes um I think if you you know if you're thinking about you know why people start start companies you know, I don't want a boss um and I want to give it a go myself um where, where the failure rate is very high and, and people get fed up is you've got great sales people entering um you know starting on their own and it can get incredibly lonely if you don't scale it don't have enough people you see a lot of firms yo-yo around the 10 to 20 mark so it's rinse and repeat that's exhausting and it can take you away from what your first love was which was the sales part mm. of the job mm. so you know i don't think there's a right or wrong in you know, having a you know one person firm a 20 person firm or a 300 person firm um are all different stages of the journey but just have a real think around why you're doing it yeah uh, and and remember why you're doing it and yeah. uh look i think where where people get a bit lost is they they lose sight of you know what what's the what were their basic principles as to to why start one? So, yeah. you know, Why? Yeah. You know, should should someone start one? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. But just just have a think about why you're doing
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the failure rate is so high for for new yeah. businesses when when they're coming, when it's recruitment or or elsewhere. Um, what's allowed you to be such an effective entrepreneur? Um, I, I look,
2: I've been fortunate um, to to have assembled a really great team. You know, I think uh, we've got some exceptional people in the business. We've kind of all grown up. Together to a large extent, we've added some brilliant nascent talent into the to the business. Um, and I, you know, if not, you know, I look at look at the people we work with day and day out internally. Um, we've got we've got really great individuals or high potential individuals at every single level mm. in the business. And I think I look up and I, you know, I've always looked for good role models in life. I think that's a really big part of, uh, I guess, why things like this exist, right? But um, people who actually can role model what a good life looks. To you. and a lot of that is about character which we don't talk about anymore but i think characters is it's a shame incredibly important Definitely. another old-fashioned word but um uh, and how people carry themselves and go about uh, day-to-day life uh, is super important and i think we've got good characters in the, in the business
0: well speaking on that um i'd love to get your opinion on on hiring and any advice you have for people that are about to start hiring or you know hiring people and how to sort of screen for the right person. What what are the kind of things that you look for and what would you advise on that? Um, well, if you're hiring within
2: professional services, call uh, Pure Search or Dartmouth Partners uh, and we can help you out on that. <laughs> Just a little plug. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, all of it starts, starts. you know, I mean, the normal thing, define, define the job and the role. Uh, and then, you know, depending on what you're hiring for, uh, what's, what's going to fit? You know, again, that cultural piece for the stuff that we... Uh, we recruit for people really underestimate how important it is you know we get so fixated on this is what the job is mm. um, and you know people talk about culture obviously and this is what we expect and but it you know why you know what gives us you know large, largely flow is people do get it wrong because they don't they haven't hardwired uh, and are, aren't able to explain uh, in detail this is what our culture actually is so um, and, and you know being able to define that is actually super important. Mm. Um, uh, you know and, and then you know, ha- trying to be thorough and cover the market and not rushing and all the usual stuff. You know, usually, hiring is replacement hire or growth hire. Um, they're usually both quite pressing needs, uh, and people become really impatient. And actually, getting it getting it right, uh, you know, is is probably more important
1: than getting it done. Yeah. How how do you know a business is ready to start hiring for support functions within that particular business? Um,
2: that's that's a good question. I will only talk from my experience within this industry. Um again, what you know, why don't business in our industry grow? You typically they're very cash-generative businesses. You've typically got, let's say, one or two founders that are making decent money. But the idea behind it is it's a cash business so i can take out a great big dividend every year um and you know we can run around doing a lot of the ops or infrastructure that distracts from us being great which was the sales bit largely um and we can spread that as we get bigger around 10 or 20 people um so that infrastructure investments and knowing how to build it out and what to build out is is largely lacking because you've been a salesperson all your life, and, and actually, when I you know, was in a bigger business, let's say, uh, you know, one of the, one of the listed ones, you were there, James. You know, it was it was all done for me. Um, so there's a there's a element of you don't know what you don't know, uh, and then and then second secondly, you know, it requires capital and cash mm-hmm. that is going to probably detract from your personal income. When you think, well, hold on, that might you know, a, a, an ops director or a COO uh, and a marketing person and an L and D person to help me grow the business, it's going to cost me two hundred grand on the payroll. That's 200 grand that I could be using for, you know, my mortgage, my car, yeah. my, my kids' school fees, et cetera. So uh, it, it requires that, you know, again, another leap of faith to to go again to reinvest in the business. You know, first time I reinvested in the business, getting up and going was was uh, the opportunity cost of personal income. What I was giving up in terms of salary or whatever. Second time round is then, okay, the opportunity cost of personal income. Mm. I've already taken that risk. Uh, and I think a lot of people in our industry get basically vertigo. You know, I'm kind of there. Um, it's going well.
1: Why do I risk it all again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, we do. Mm. Um, just on that point, then, in terms of reinvesting in the business, how do you know how much to reinvest and how much to withdraw in terms mm. of income? Curious to take your perspective on that. Um, uh, that's a great question.
2: Uh, look, I, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't think it's a right or wrong answer. If you go back to why we started the business. Some people will want to run it as a cash business because. You know, personal income is really really important to me i don't want to scale it i want this to provide a really great lifestyle i can come and go as i please etc like i play tennis with a one of my best friends uh every week he he runs a, a one-man band and he'll say look i've got Autonomy. I can do my kids drop off at, at school every day when they were younger. Yeah. Um. You know, I can go to the gym for an hour and a half every day. You know, I. I, I, I yeah.
1: You know, I've got. to a lot. lifestyle business more or so. But he does mm. really well out of it. Yeah, you
2: know, he does really, really well out of it. Um, he picks me up in his me every every Sunday to, to go go and play tennis. Um, so he does. Yeah, you know, he. he yeah, you know, and that's exactly what he wants. Yeah, you know, and he would always say, "Yeah, you know, your stress. You have no time to even go to the loo." Right, so if I, I call you, I, I know exactly where you are because uh, of the echo, um, <laughs> uh, and so uh, yeah, so you know, I, I, you know, people have different reasons, and I don't think you know, just because I've done it one way isn't isn't the right way. It was it was what I wanted, um, and for for my mate, he would say that's exactly what I don't want.
1: True. No, that's true. I, swear, I didn't know if there was a kind of a, a blanket rule, if you like, of you should never take more yeah. than X out of the business percentage relative to turnover or profit. Or if, uh, No, yeah. I think that, look, the gold, gold rule for me is that you should
2: drop out roughly 30% margin, right? So you should be running at a 30% profit margin. Uh, so uh, if you want, you've probably got something wrong. And again, mm. a lot of business owners should get that wrong. Um, and then se- sec- secondly, you know, take out what you need. And if you want to grow it, reinvest it. If you don't want to grow it, then-, yeah. then rip it all out and, mm.
0: and, yeah,
1: yeah, and start again,
0: start start again. Um, I'll go on you can uh, say well, I was going to do our big our big question go for it yeah um, we like to round off every interview with the same question essentially okay. um, which is where we basically ask if you were to give one piece of practical advice to someone at home that's watching Um, who might either already have a business or be looking to start one uh, what would you say and we put emphasis on practical and actionable um, so less kind of you know believe in yourself work hard and more down the down the route of like something they can actually maybe take home and apply to the business they may or may not already have well we should talk about before we like to keep keep people on the spot spontaneous that is a super hard question Um, because we don't want people to come in and be like well the one thing you need and you know it's like (laughs) however big or small there's no pressure
2: um all right, let's make it relevant to what I do. I think I think building the right team and getting the foundations right right at the beginning will set the tone for the for for the course of your business. So you can obviously unpick it if you get it wrong, but having, you know, if you've set it up by yourself, having the first uh three, four, five hires around you that that have drunk your Kool-Aid, buy into what you're gonna do and are gonna back you, uh, come rain or shine. Um, I think will, will probably dictate a large a large chance of your success you know t- team team makes such a difference mm. No,
1: that's a really good piece of advice yeah it really um, is but no look thank you for coming on I really appreciate it I, uh, yeah. I have a huge amount of admiration for what oh, you've done with Dartmouth and, and nice. genuinely do look up to you as a really successful entrepreneur so that's very kind thank you yeah, that, so. nobody looks up to you even my height
0: so <laughs> <laughs> that's now. a nice full circle <laughs> interview and it has been an amazing conversation and I've been enlightened about I've, I've never I've never been shown the recruitment industry from from that perspective and I have a, I have a great deal of respect for everything you've talked about it's really interesting It's false for good no thank you so much for coming on uh, where can people find you? Uh, what? Physically or? Uh, no. Yeah, your <laughs> home address. Yeah, not, yeah. Yeah. Home address, oh. mobile number, email, yeah. kids' schools, everything. Uh, no, uh, where can people find you in Dartmouth and anything you want to promote basically this year? Uh, month.
2: Have a look at dartmouthpartners.com or puresearch.com uh, or
0: kernel-global.com. Amazing. Logan thank and I do, you. thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, remember to subscribe. turn on post notifications for anyone at home. And if you are listening on the audio, then please do rate us five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave of you. And we will see you in the next one. Take care. Thank you.